Chapter Twenty Three of the Forgery by George Payne Rainsford James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Three. Henry Haley sat beside Maria Monkton alone. Lady Anne Mellant and Charles Marston had left them together as soon as they found that Lady Fleetwood was out. Their own hearts told them how pleasant are the few uninterrupted moments of happy communion which love can snatch from the giddy and importunate world. Charles Marston had promised to return for Henry in an hour, and the young soldier was eager to take advantage of precious opportunity to say a part, at least, of all that remained to be said between him and her he loved. Maria, however, was sad, or at least very grave. The agitation of being thus left alone with him, perhaps, might have some share in that seriousness, for woman's love only grows bold by degrees. Perhaps the uncertainty of his fate and future prospects might have some share, for how full of emotions is the anxiety with which we watch the current of events affecting a beloved object, events over which we have no control or power, especially when from ignorance or inexperience we cannot calculate the amount of dangers that menace and difficulties that beset. However, Maria was very grave, as I have said, and Henry, remarking it, hastened to make an effort to remove what he imagined might be the cause of the sadness he beheld. "'How I have longed for this moment, dear Maria,' he said, "'and yet, now it is come, I fear it will last so short a time that I shall not have space to say all I have to say.' Indeed, dear girl, it becomes more and more necessary every moment that we should have some means of communicating with each other unrestrained by the presence of others. How may this be, Maria? For I foresee that from time to time it may be absolutely needful for me to have at least a few minutes to explain to you things that may appear strange in my conduct, to show you that there is no cause for fear, even when things seem going wrong, to communicate to you, in short, the hopes and expectations that are in my own bosom whenever they assume a tangible form you must tell me the fears and the dangers too henry said maria you cannot tell what i suffered during the whole of dinner-time while such sharp questions and answers were passing between you and my uncle his suspicions are evidently aroused as to how i can see you except at such moments as these i do not know what to reply if it be needful indeed i can drive down into the country for a day at any time and see you there but as we are all going soon to lady anne mellon's it seems there will be plenty of opportunity there was a slight peculiarity in her way of pronouncing lady anne mellon's name an emphatic dwelling upon the words which did not escape henry's ear and he gazed at maria for a moment with a look almost as grave as her own then laying his hand lightly upon hers he said do you not think lady anne's manner strange towards me maria do you not think mine strange towards her the colour came warmly into maria's cheek no henry she said after a moment's pause i might think both strange were any other person concerned than dear anne mellant but i know her so well I know that she is so good, so kind, so true, so sincere, and yet, in habit of thought and general course of action, so unlike other people, that what would be strange with others is not strange with her. And I feel sure, Henry, 
that there is some strong and good motive both with you and her for all you do still henry gazed at her gravely and thoughtfully there is something more maria he said stay dear girl let me place the case before you as strongly as it can be placed to show you that i see the most unfavourable light in which it can be viewed i return to you after many years of sad and painful exile with a reputation tarnished and doubtful with a story vouched for by my own word alone you receive me as if not a day has passed as if not a breath had sullied my name you believe my exculpation you listen to my love you give me confidence comfort hope and yet while telling you that i love you you alone you with my whole heart and soul i am more frequently with another passing long hours with her conferring consulting with her although she is one whom good kind and amiable as she is i profess to regard in a very different manner less warm less tender than that in which i regard yourself acknowledge that it has struck you as very strange maria that it has pained you that it has almost made you doubt me no no indeed henry she said it has not done so you could have no motive no object in deceiving me even if i could believe you capable of doing so henry smiled faintly i might tell you he said that there are many causes for such conduct that lady anne from her father's old intimacy with mine possesses information most valuable to me upon the only points where difficulties stand in my way or dangers menace me that i have always the opportunity of seeing her alone of consulting with her and making arrangements to secure the future all this is true and i might add that though you may think this close communication dangerous with one young gay beautiful as she is yet there is no risk for a heart given entirely to you which has never loved another and never will but i will put it upon a totally different ground i will only say trust me dear maria fully entirely as you did when there was every cause to doubt and suspect me believe that i am incapable of any baseness especially to one whose generous kindness and undoubted confidence have been the brightest reward of that rectitude of which i am conscious and the sweetest compensation for all that i have suffered and deserved trust me and do not doubt me and in a very few days all shall be explained indeed henry i have never doubted you replied maria earnestly never upon my word i have been a little anxious a little sad and my feelings have been so mixed that they would be difficult to explain the evident suspicions of my uncle alarm me my aunt fleetwood too recognises you i am sure you can easily imagine that not fully knowing what is taking place what means you have of proving your innocence what your intentions are what your course is to be i have felt agitated frightened and besides she paused and did not conclude the sentence there is something more said henry say what besides maria maria laughed but not gaily and shook the bright curls back from her face with some degree of agitation i was going to say she replied that besides all this the way you replied several times to my uncle last night troubled and alarmed me a good deal there was a mocking sort of sarcasm which i thought likely to irritate him 
rather than otherwise, to provoke him to pursue his inquiries farther. It was unlike yourself, too, Henry. You were always frank, earnest, calm. Even in your very gaiety there was a clear open candour, peculiar to yourself. Last night there might be playfulness, yet there was a degree of sneering superciliousness, too, a touch of scorn for the opinion of others, a little like Lady Anne's own manner to those whom she despises, which struck me very much. I love Henry Haley's natural manner better. Henry laughed gaily and pressed his lips upon her hand. "'It shall all come back again, dearest Maria,' he replied, "'in a very, very short time. "'But in the meanwhile you must not let that manner pain you any more, "'even though you should see it carried still farther. "'You have said you do not know what my intentions are, "'what my course is to be. "'Now, dearest Maria, listen, "'and do not be angry with me, "'even if you think my course is a rash and imprudent one. "'My intentions are very strange.' Whenever I meet your uncle, I propose to treat him exactly as I did last night, to irritate him, if you will, to goad him on, in short, upon the course in which his suspicions would lead him, to drive him to take the initiative in proving who I am, and to throw no obstacles in his way, except such as may stimulate him to proceed the more fiercely. In this course, I even intend to make you art and part, with a sort of bold and almost impudent recklessness which, believe me, I should never dream of were the circumstances different. I know not whether Maria will forgive me, nor how she may herself be disposed to act. But wherever I meet her, especially where Mr. Scriven is present, my feelings towards her will appear undisguised. I will seek her as an object of deep and ardent attachment, and though, of course, my conduct shall be regulated by the ordinary proprieties of life, so as not to pain her feelings by calling the gaze of the multitude upon us, yet no one shall see me near her, and doubt that she is dearer to me than any other being upon earth. How will Maria act with so strange a man? Maria smiled gladly, for though there was much that she did not comprehend, many motives that she did not see, objects that were hidden, yet through the mist there gleamed things pleasant to her eyes hopes assurances affections that seemed bright and happy he could not so act he could not so speak without deep love without strong expectation she will act as you would wish her henry she replied a promise once given is with me binding for ever nor will i shrink from avowing it no nor attempt to conceal it but I will not endeavour, Henry, either to say or to determine how I will act. I will let my conduct towards you take its natural course. The feelings in my heart, the confidence, the trust, will ensure that it shall be such as will not be disagreeable to you, and I am sure that whatever you think it right to do will be so guided as not to render it painful to me. Except in regard to your uncle, dear Maria, he replied, Perhaps in his case it may be so, but it will spare much hereafter, and of this be assured, that no consideration whatever would induce me to blazon forth my attachment in the eyes of the world, did I not feel fully assured that when all is made clear and every cloud blown away, I shall stand forth not unworthy of the affection of such a dear heart as yours, not unqualified, even in point of wealth and the world's esteem, 
to seek your hand. As to wealth, said Maria, smiling, that need be no consideration, Henry. I have enough, and more than enough, for both, and I suppose, of course, that when you resume your real name and station, you will resign the fortune which you hold as Frank Middleton. I do not know, answered Henry. That fortune was not obtained by any deceit. He who left it to me knew right well that I was not Frank Middleton, and I can prove that such was the case. However, that will be a matter for after-consideration. Though were I to do as you say, Mr. Scriven would undoubtedly exclaim loudly against your marrying a beggar, though he might not be able to prove that you were marrying a felon. But what say you, Maria? he continued gaily. Might we not pursue another course? Might you not give this dear little hand to Colonel Middleton, great nephew of a grandee of Spain? Might you not go with him to that bright, sunshiny land and spend the rest of life amidst groves of oranges and myrtles by the side of clear streams, with the cork-tree spreading out its broad, rugged branches overhead, and the wild blue mountains falling into every fanciful form against the distant sky? There, amidst the marble palaces of races long passed away, with minaret and dome and fretted arch and fountain sparkling in the sun, the breeze loaded with fragrance, and the night sky gemmed with lustrous stars, life might fly away like a summer dream, and all the dark realities in the fate of Henry Haley be forgotten. "'You are mocking me even now, Henry,' said Maria, shaking her head. "'Do not put such a question to me again unless you put it seriously.' and if ever you should do so i will take two minutes to consider and then give you an answer but hark there is my aunt fleetwood i know her servants knock well then remember dear maria said henry that to her as well as to others i may behave strangely nor be you surprised at anything you may see nor think that i am changed except in mere appearances all will be fully explained in time and in the meanwhile dear maria trust me i will i will answered maria with a smile and almost at the same moment lady fleetwood entered the room she seemed somewhat disconcerted to find colonel middleton there and she would fain have been a little cool and distant in her manner but it was a very difficult thing for her kind-hearted ladyship to feel or appear cold to anybody in the case of henry it would have been less easy than in any other for in spite of all she could do, there was a natural warming of the heart towards him whom she had loved and caressed as a boy, which she could not overcome. His manner, too, was very engaging, and he spoke to her, so like an old friend, with so much of the easy confidence of long-tried affection, that she could not either persuade herself he was other than Henry Haley, or make herself angry lest his evident love for Maria should spoil her favourite scheme of uniting her niece and nephew. To do Henry merely justice, he did not in the least attempt to conceal from Lady Fleetwood his affection for Maria, but on the contrary, to use the ordinary term, made love to her more openly and desperately when her aunt alone was present, to watch them, than he would have done in the presence of any other human being. Poor Lady Fleetwood witnessed it all with sad dismay. She had fortified herself strongly in her little plan for Charles and Maria, and the great indifference which her niece had shown for all other men 
the rejection of two or three very eligible proposals, and the light and laughing way in which she usually treated the subject of marriage, when her aunt, in simplicity of heart, forced it upon her, had all tended to strengthen her belief in the security of her position. Now, however, she saw so terrible an attack made upon it, that she began to entertain the notion that she could not maintain it. And Maria, although she was not one to flirt even with a lover, suffered, every now and then, a word, a look, a smile to escape her, which made poor Lady Fleetwood tremble for the fate of all her little arrangements. Shortly after her return, some visitors came in, and they were succeeded by others, but still Colonel Middleton did not give up his post, and remained there, with his manner a little subdued towards Maria, indeed, but still without any attempt to disguise his attentions. If there was any change in Maria's manner towards him, it became rather warmer than colder in the presence of her visitors. She did not attempt to conceal her preference, and poor Lady Fleetwood was more uneasy than ever. When she found, moreover, that Henry was to be one of the guests at Lady Anne Mellon's, she was actually roused to an attempt to carry the war into the enemy's territory, though, poor thing, heaven knows she was anything but fitted for an enterprising general. "'Oh, then you are going down to Lady Anne's, Colonel Middleton?' she said with a meaning smile. "'You seem very intimate there. Have you been long acquainted with her?' "'I saw Lady Anne at a ball in Rome more than a year ago,' said Henry, "'and she is, as you remark, exceedingly kind to me, "'of which her invitation on this occasion is a proof. "'For as soon as she has secured you and Miss Monkton, Lady Fleetwood, "'she sent to tell me so, and to invite me, "'knowing how delighted I should be to meet you there, "'and how desolate London would seem to me "'during the absence of yourself and your fair niece.' The slightest possible smile curled his handsome lip as he spoke, and Maria could not refrain from looking a little amused also. Lady Fleetwood felt that she had better let him alone, and in a few minutes after, to her great relief, Charles Marston was announced. He had not entered the room, however, when a fluttering apprehension seized upon Lady Fleetwood, lest her nephew should perceive that he had a rival in the young officer and some quarrel should be the result. She therefore determined, with her usual kindness, to try and explain to Charles that Colonel Middleton was only there accidentally, and soften matters as much as possible. But Charles was in the most provoking humour in the world, and seemed resolved to demolish all his aunt's hopes and expectations completely. "'Oh, my dear aunt,' he said, nearly aloud, "'I left him here an hour ago or more, promising to call for him again.' Lady Fleetwood looked aghast and murmured, "'On purpose?' "'Oh, dear, yes,' answered Charles, laughing. "'Listen, and I'll tell you a secret in your ear, dear lady,' he continued in a whisper. "'See if I am not the kindest and most considerate man in the world. "'I found that you were out and that Maria was here alone, "'so I went away and left Middleton with her, "'thinking they might have something to say to each other. "'So now that's a hint for you, dearest aunt.' and I'm quite sure that a kind, good-natured creature like yourself will take every little quiet opportunity of letting them have a few minutes' conversation alone from time to time. Poor Lady Fleetwood was struck dumb, and sinking down into a seat she began to play with the stopper of a large scent-bottle which stood upon the table. 
In the meanwhile, Maria and Henry were conversing with some people at the other end of the room, and Charles and his friends soon after took their departure, while poor Lady Fleetwood said to herself, "'Well, I suppose there is no use trying to mend the matter now, but I must certainly talk to my brother about it and hear what he thinks. I never could have believed that Maria would throw herself away upon a man whom she has only known a few days.' and half a Spaniard, too. End of chapter 23